The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thing like, oh, yeah, remembering where that leads us. And the same with the aversion. Another way to think about the hindrances is, is that they're veils. They cover something. And you know the teachings in the in the time from the time of the Buddha and the suttas. Occasionally, you'll see these references that the mind itself is pure and bright. Just that's the natural ma- nature of the mind. And so, what if there's something covering that? What if we all have this, and there's things that cover it that prevent us from kind of seeing clearly to it or through it? And the Buddha gave similes um, having to do with water for each of the, the hindrances. And so a mind clear of hindrances is described as a very clear pool of water. So you can look in, you can see and penetrate, see the rocks and the fish and the algae, and you know it's clear to you what it is and what's happening in there. You could see a reflection without distortion, right? If you have um, desire in the mind, the veil is kind of equated to dye, you know, like a, a color, crimson red or something put in the water. And so it tints, right? Just like sunglasses. I had somebody who came to this class and we were talking about this and um, I was talking about, you know, tinting, wearing sunglasses affects the colors that you see, right? And so he had this huge aha moment because he ran through a, a red light because of, or a green light. He must have stopped at a green light because the tinting in his glasses turned the green to, like, what looked like red. So... The, the color, you know, the way we're seeing can impact how we perceive what we're looking at. So if we're looking into the pond and it's all rosy, it might make us think, oh, it's so beautiful. Look at how the fish is this color and it's, you know, purple. And instead it's just, you know, gray or something. And the impact or the veil of ill will in the water is like boiling water. So you can't see into it because the water is not still, and it's also hot and dangerous, right? So you can't even really get close to it. So the veil, you know, prevents us from seeing. With restlessness and worry, it's like wind, wind on a lake, right? Really kicks up the waves, and you again, it's choppy, and the water is disturbed, so you, you can't see clearly. And with sloth and torpor, it's equated with, like, algae, Right? Sludge. <laughs> it makes it hard to move, hard to see. You it's like, have you ever had algae water? You know, it's not easy to clear out. <laughs> you know, it's not easy. I had, I've had fish tanks, right? And, you know, even if you wipe off the glass, you're just, the water is filmy. There's a lot of work to trying to get it clean. And usually you just have to get rid of most of the water, clean out the rocks, clean the glass, and leave some in for the pH balance. But, you know, it's this long process. It can take a while. You might have to change the water a few times. So the veil, I like this idea of 
like, you know, the nature of the mind, the nature of the heart is radiant and free of these things. And conditions, just like weather, happen in our lives. And they're going to disturb that capacity to see through, see with, see into with that kind of clarity and brightness. And we're using the Wizard of Oz uh, as a reference. And I say we, Diana's not here tonight because she's sick, so hopefully she'll be back next week for the last class. But um, we wanted to, you know, we, Diana and I, when we've taught this before, we have this idea, just let's demystify these hindrances. Let's not make them into bad things. They're, if you actually see, I've said this before, but think about it. If you see clearly what's happening, you can pull the veil back, the curtain back. And who does this in The Wizard of Oz? Who reveals? Toto, right? I mean, here's this wizard hiding. Have you seen the movie? Yeah, so the wizard, right, just this little guy making up lots of stories, intimidating people, um, pretending to have power, hides behind this curtain and then has this projected head with this flame coming out of it, speaking in this deep, demanding voice. And Toto's like, to me, the little symbol of mindfulness, Right? Sort of this clear ability to see. And he just runs over there and pulls the curtain back and reveals the wizard. And that revealing, that's a see, it's a pathway to freedom. If we can see it, we can relate to it, we can know, and we can be free from it. We're, you know, remember how f- frightened they were when they were visiting the wizard as he was, you know, booming voice and they're all shivering and quivering and. You know, you pull back that curtain and you realize, wow, this is make-believe. And how often do we make ourselves shiver and quiver because of our mental mind imagining, creating these intensities, these stories? And if we can recognize what we're doing, we can pull our own curtain back and free ourselves from the wizards of the world in our own mind. So does anyone want to say anything about working with um, restlessness and worry this past week or uh, any reflections from the class from last week before we kind of move into sloth and torpor in the context of Wizard of Oz and then in the context of the Dharma? Great. That's okay. I was just going to ask, because you were just talking about, like, revealing the curtain and, like, similarly revealing things in our life that were, like, covered before. And as you were saying that, I was just thinking, like, like the example you gave in The Wizard of Oz, it's, like, a very clear uh, thing <laughs> that gets revealed. But, like, often I feel like things are way more complicated, mm-hmm. especially when you look like different perspectives and how like someone sees something versus another person. And it's usually not as straightforward as like, oh, this person did this to me. It might be like, oh, they were feeling this way and they reacted this way, which made me feel this. It's like, I don't know. I feel like it gets very muddy. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know if you have any thoughts around I, I don't know I think I struggle a little bit in general with like meditation and like doing raft and things like that because I just feel like there's usually not this very clear path towards like walking through my feelings or emotions or like processing events um and revealing things when I don't know like yeah I just feel like I don't know how to do it well yeah well um I have a lot of things to say. So, <laughs> um, what can I say right now? A couple, of, you know. Um, remember that when we're doing mindfulness, we can only do mindfulness of our own experience, right? We can only really be mindful of what we're sensing in our bodies, what we're thinking what we're feeling, and know that we're seeing things, but from our own perspective. We can't know exactly what anyone else is seeing, thinking, feeling. We can be sensitive and empathic and pick up on stuff, but truly it's only the other person that can. And we don't have to agree. We can be in the same room at the same time, same things happening, and have two very different experiences and there's, there's stories, I don't remember who the monks are, but there are stories from some monks, right, who are practitioners in Europe. I don't remember. They were traveling together, and they were talking later about these events that they shared, and they all had really different stories, really different perceptions of the experience. And that's just the reality of life. So if we're trying to make everything match up with other people... And their experience, somebody's always trying to then distort their own experience. All of our experience is colored and influenced by our history, our personality, the way we see and relate, how our mind thinks. Some people think you know, in images, some people think in words. Some people don't really think in either. You know, our minds are unique. And our histories are unique. And the way we even define something is impacted by everything behind us. (laughs) So maybe if you try and simplify and really get clear that all you need to know is what's going on for you, what your truth is. It doesn't mean it's that capital T truth. But it means that you can settle with something because you know what's true for you. Does that make sense? The other thing I'll say is that um, in May, the last three weeks of May, not all, because I'm doing an intro series after this one, but in May I'm doing raft just for three weeks, just raft. And I'm hoping to do some um, practices where people are willing to have me guide them through it and share out loud what's happening so I can guide you through more. So come back in May. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about sloth and torpor and the Wizard of Oz for a moment. So sloth, right, is very f- the physical aspect of this hindrance. Um, it's the heaviness, the the frozenness, the not being able to move or get up, you know. And so, who in the Wizard of Oz is stuck, slow? The Tin Man. 
right? He's rested shut. He can't move. No, get the open, right? He's just talking out of the corner of his mouth, and you know, um, so he needs to be oiled and greased, <laughs> and and then if you watch him, right, he he kind of has a sadness to him. There's a little bit of a you know, a little bit of a sadness to his face. And, you know, there's a way in which I think depression is a little bit like the torpor, right? And and the energy in the body and the energy in the mind kind of affect the way he speaks. So he's kind of like slowly, his head's kind of sideways, and, you know, just sort of his affect is the opposite of the straw man. The straw man who has all kinds of restlessness and worry, right? All kinds of extra energy. His mood will swing from this to that rapidly. The Tin Man, no, 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 you don't see that, right? So this is a a kind of an example of how more sloth and torpor manifest and look, just this sort of flatter, slower, kind of, you know, sad, subdued, maybe. And... Torpor and sloth, actually, you know, they don't mean you don't have energy. They mean you're not accessing your energy. One, you know, you've seen how people can go from no energy to tons of energy, snap of a finger, because something interesting comes along or something that excites them happens, right? So that energy was there, just wasn't accessed because their mind wasn't turned on or their ideas and beliefs weren't, you know, positive and energetic. And what is it that this tin man is telling himself? What does he tell Dorothy and the straw man? He just says he doesn't have a heart. He, he tells himself he has no heart and he tells them he really believes he has no heart. But yet he's sad and he's romantic and he's longing a partner right? You, you, don't, you don't feel those things if you have no heart. But he's telling himself he has no heart, and he believes his story. And when we believe the stories we tell ourselves like this, it affects our energy, affects our mood and our bodies and our minds. And think about what is it like to imagine not having a heart, not having an emotional connection? What what does life look like? Gray. Gray. Really, you know, lacking vibrancy. Right? And that's kind of how he presents. Lacking vibrancy. It's so pithy. I think it's so pithy what they've done in the story with these characters, actually. And it's, it's quite extreme, you know. And the story is kind of wild, but... The more I think about it, the more I'm like, wow, this is such a great, such a great way to tell us about the way we are, (laughs) you know. So there's another person in the story who tells himself um, that he can't do things and things are too hard. They're too dangerous and it affects him and his energy in some ways. It's a little different. But I wonder about the lion, and I wonder if there's some way, you know, he certainly has, you know, worry. But does he also have some sloth and torpor in there? 
that kind of are impacting him. We can have multiple hindrances. <laughs> and then there's one other really poignant example of sloth and torpor, and that's the field of poppies. Right? Drugs, right? Poppy opiates. It's like we, you know, opiates make us feel like it's a warm hug and we fall asleep and we lounge around and, you know, they essentially go into this field and they all fall asleep, right? So they're lacking awareness in the mind and body. Such a, another example of how, you know, whether it's drugs or what we're doing that can induce states of coma-like consciousness. <laughs> yeah. So now I kind of shift and let's wait. Who has other ideas? Anybody else have other ideas from the story that might might um, reflect rest, um, sloth and torpor? No? If you do, if anything pops up, feel free to share. Um, so within the Dharma, I talked about, you know, the, the pond, the algae-filled pond, right, as a simile taught by the, the Buddha. And... You know, been sort of talking about, you know, the sloth and torpor comes from, you know, really a lot of it can come from our mind, the way we're thinking about things, the perspective we have on things, how tight we are around things, or how um, slack we are, how much permission giving we are giving ourselves, you know. Um, and so the sloth is the physical, the torpor is the mind, the dull, cloudy, weary, easily drifting into thought. There's something that um, Gill calls the sinking mind, which is related to a torpor in the mind. And it actually, you know, in deeper meditation, it can be a little bit seductive and pleasant. It's like this feeling of just, I don't know, yeah, like sinking, right? Just this sinking, sinking feeling. And just not even knowing you're not aware because you're so... I don't know, lost. Yeah. And so when it's really strong, there can be, you know, insufficient mindfulness to even know we're in it. So, um, when, you know, emotional energies or attitudes also affects our energy, like a feeling of discouragement, frustration, boredom, or even indifference, right? Boredom to me is a lack of um, connection in the present moment. It's it's not not being present, and indifference to me is a, a form of hostility. Really, I feel. Um, there's a feeling giving up can induce sloth and torpor, hopelessness, right? And the other thing is resistance. When we're resisting something we can find ourselves in a, a tension, a space of tension that immobilizes us in a way, right? So if we're, something needs to happen and we think it needs to happen but we can't do it and we won't do it, we can get stuck, immobilized. It can also come up when we have a sense of not feeling satisfied, gratified, um, it can come up when we feel like there's no benefit to us in whatever's happening. 
Some people, or all of us probably, <laughs> to some extent, are really motivated when we feel like we're being seen in a favorable way. Um, and when we don't feel that way, when we don't feel like, you know, we're being acknowledged or important, it can be very easy to shut down and kind of shift into a sloth and torpor space. There's a few more things to say, but um, I think I'll move to practice tips. And I kind of want it because I'm going to have you guys talk, right, in your small group. And I want to give you room to name some of this stuff, right? It's fun. Um, So just some simple practice tips. Always, for me, it's always the first thing is to name it, to be aware of it. We have to recognize it, right? So the raft, R, recognize, mindfulness, bring awareness to it. And then the second part is the A, which is to allow it to be there. So if we're struggling with it, we're not going to see it clearly. We're, it's like adding waves to the water. We've got to find a way to allow it to be seen as it exists already, to give it space, birth. Um, And maybe I'll save the other tips for after you guys do a little small group discussion. So we can kind of, you know, talk about that. So I think, you know, with five, there's five of you. So why don't you just be one group, you know? And um, you can just sort of make a little circle back there and go ahead and do that. You know, just turn your chairs, whatever. I don't mean like you have to go, but like just it's probably easier on that side of the room. And I'll just invite you first to go around the circle and say your names and a little bit about your relationship to IMC or to practice, where you live maybe. And then I'll give you the first question. This is just sort of get to know your Dharma friends. (laughs) Guys, right? I'm open to, we can fine tune. So the first question would be kind of how do you experience sloth and torpor? Just in general, exploring and sharing a little bit. And um, like, you know, think about it, how it shows up in your mind, how it shows up in your body, and where it shows up. Just sort of reflect a little bit. Let yourself connect with how it comes into your life. And and so just take turns one at a time. I think one at a time. Or do you let – me, let me ask – would you rather say one way and then go to the next person and hear what they say, like to help generate ideas? Or would you rather be able to talk by yourself just for a couple of minutes and let yourself free flow? What would you prefer? You. <laughs> oh. I've never done this exact moment in time before, so <laughs> I have no experience with this moment. <laughs> okay, how about we start with two rounds, lightning rounds, where you just drop in one or two things that you're aware of, just like a short little thing, just to help you get the juices go. And then the third round, 
you each person take a little longer to say a little bit more. How does that sound? Great. No, I, hey, the hindrances show up everywhere. And question two is what I'd like to invite you to do is to talk about activities and topics, um, etc., that bring a sense of vitality to you and your life. And, and then also to talk about, maybe you should start with, a, I don't know what way you want to go, let's end with this vitality, <laughs> I think. But the other is, and what topics or activities leave you feeling dull, drained, or lifeless? Um, so, YouTube. what's that? YouTube. YouTube, right. It does me, for sure. Um, so, just, and you can, so, like, you know, it doesn't have to be lightning, but you can do it similarly, and you can talk a little more if you want to reflect and share more than one thing at once. And just allow yourselves to connect. But um, you could do, maybe we do a first round of what brings energy, vitality, and then a second round of what brings a lack of it, the opposite. And then let's go back to vitality. Does that sound good? Okay. So let me ask you, would you like to do the guided practice now? Or would you like me to talk a little bit about some of the antidotes? I would... Antidotes? Okay, great. Because it's all fresh in your mind. Okay. Um, so before I go into that, I just want to say a couple more things. So one of the things that can happen is that if we have something going on that we're not really ready to face or it feels like too much, it's often, you know, sloth and torpor will arise. And there can be some wisdom to that. So, you know, I think we have to, at certain times when we know there's a lot going on, there can still be things being processed, right? So it's really keeping asking the question, is it hindering me in some way? Or is it is what needed is a little bit more stillness, right? And one of the key ways to figure that out is notice after you rest, do you feel any lighter or better? And if you don't and you feel heavier, you probably need to be moving more, if that makes sense. Does it make sense, Susan? So this idea that, again, I'll repeat this, there can be times in our lives where there's something that's going on that we don't want to deal with. It could be a task you brought up, Joe, like something that you don't want to do at work. And so it brings up this, like, ugh, right? But you, and and Gus both talked about just doing it, right? And you get through it and you feel better. And that's a good indicator that that's the right thing to do. There can also be big things going on in our life, like breakups or, you know, people dying or something like that that feel overwhelming, that feel like they're, it's almost too hard to be with it. And so sometimes a result can be that sloth, sloth and torpor come up. And sometimes I think there's some wisdom in that. So, But we still need to discern because we can also go down in the sinking hole, Right? and get really heavy-weighted and not move and not do things that we need to be doing to take care of ourselves, right? So I just wanted to bring some ideas, some balance and to the idea of, like, it's not always bad to be in sloth and torpor, right? Sometimes there's a needed rebalancing, right? Or a need to kind of shut down a little bit 
Um, and part of that is due to an imbalance, Susan, I think what you were talking about. You know, you like to get to the end of the night and watch Netflix because you described a busy, 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 busy. Maybe there's an imbalance between effort and relaxation as we're going about life. So if we're putting, and Cassandra, I think you said this too, right? If we're put, doing too much, too much, too much, too much, uh, we can kind of collapse into sloth and torpor. And so what happens if we try and build more balance, more rest, more breaks in our daily routine so we're not driving so hard, so hard, and then just sort of collapse, right? So finding that balance between effort and relaxation is part of the, the um, antidote, right? Um, and you already named many of the things I'm going to say. One was just... You know, Gus, you talked about just standing up. I have that experience, you know, where I'll just be like, I'm just done. I don't even have words for it. I'm just like, I can't do this anymore, you know, and I just stand up or I, you know, turn off the TV or I shut my computer because I'm just done, right? And it could be anything. And, and shifting just changes, can help change and get me out of it. And like you said, I don't even, Cassandra, you said it's hardest to recognize. And that's because it is that kind of a, there's a, there's a real heaviness of, to, that inhibits our capacity to really recognize with clarity what's going on. So some things to do are arouse energy, particularly before you're going to meditate, okay? So this is for an example, or before you need to do something that's hard for you to do. Go for a brisk walk, right? Sit more upright. Open your eyes. Wash your face with cold water. Open a window. Cool down. Heat, you know, right? So, and if you're, you know can make yourself a little bit uncomfortable, whatever you're doing, so you're not just sinking into the couch or sinking into your meditation cushions. You know, don't get too comfortable. It sort of invites that falling asleep state. Another thing to do is to investigate, drop in some questions. Like, if I had energy now, I would dot, dot, dot. What would you do if you had energy right now? Um, And then... What is it I really want right now? Like trying to, sometimes we're, you know, we're not getting what we really want and we're not really acknowledging that, so we're tuning out. So what is it I really want or what is it I really don't want right now? Like to help us name it, right? Um, Another practice is to reflect on death and dying, right? To think about, you know, life is short. What does it mean? (laughs) What's the purpose and meaning in our life and our practice? So to, you know, reflect on the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, things that bring a sense of purpose, inspiration, and connect you with the preciousness of life. And no matter what, just keep practicing. Don't get up and walk away just because you're having a bout of sloth and torpor. You know, don't walk away from your practice. I mean, walk away from your TV, (laughs) not your practice. Any thoughts, any additions? Anything else you want to add? Gus, great. Just get the mic, would you? Thank you. From what you said, it sounds like there's a space for 
mindful sloth. Say more. It's what you were saying about you may not be in the right space to be active, but you can be mindful that what you need right now looks like a hindrance, but it's not. Yeah. It's what you need. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. and um, yeah, and so it's you know you know how when there are times your energy can arise right away, you know, but there might be other states and times where it's more because you end up finding out you you were sick, you didn't realize you were getting sick, you know. So there there sometimes if your energy won't shift and you try these things, maybe you're just tired, or maybe there's just too much. And you need rest. Yeah. So it's discernment, I guess. It's hard to say mindful sloth and torpor. It's hard to... But, but mindful of it, and then exploring, investigating what's needed, and how do I respond if I do this? How do I respond if I do that? That makes sense? Thank you. Anything else? I don't know if it's my age or what, Mm -hmm. but when you said, you know, rest during the day and there's a balance. So growing up, it was like, I'll go the other way. As I'm older, as I'm old, I have given myself permission to nap during the day if I want. I've retired a couple of years ago, but I never would have done that. Ever. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the day was filled with doing things, mm-hmm. and never would I do that. Mm-hmm. And when I first started giving myself permission to do that, I thought, this is great. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. So it, it, you know, it depends on also where you are in your life. If mm-hmm. you, and now I know that people, you know, you have to be happy in your workplace, and you should, and there should be. A balance, but when I you know I work, you know, you just worked. So it's a whole different thing, I think. Yeah, and you know, different generations have different yeah. attitudes about it. Because some of the you know younger people I work with are, I'm not doing that. They're right. like, I'm not doing that. I, I no, I watch you do that. No way, thank you. That's You're, right, and that's yeah. what I mean. And like, I never would have said that. Yeah, right. yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, I mean, we're all, we all have to look at our own patterns. Yeah. You know, what is our, what's the conditioning? Because there's also other things. Actually, there are other messages people get um, that make it more okay or less okay for them to rest. Mm-hmm. That, you know, in some parts of our, you know, culture, there are, you know, people who experience tremendous pressure to kind of always having to be on and to look good and be to present smart because they're pushing against a lot of stereotypes or other barriers in their life. So there are a lot of reasons <laughs> that cause people to have various attitudes about it, whether it's okay to nap or not okay to nap. And um, there's a there's been some books and writings about um, what's it, the you know sort of rest as revolution, you know, rest as you know kind of a way to take back one's power, you know. So, 
um, especially in the black community. But yeah, any any other wonderful reflections, thoughts? Yeah, Gus. Great. I have a hard time with the uh, death and dying part of it. Sometimes I'll think to myself, you know, mm-hmm. hey, you're 67 years old. It's not like, you know, you have an infinite amount of time left here. What are you going to do? Absolutely does not work for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. Good. Well, it's good to yeah. know, right? What, what does work for you? So what does inspire you, Gus? That has something that is not what that does to me. Uh, what that does to me is it makes me feel kind of uh, guilty that mm. I should mm. be doing certain things. It has a negative connotation, mm. right? Thou should, I should do this, right? Doesn't work for me. So, yeah, it has to be positive. It has to be onward leading. Yeah. I have a hard time with that one. Yeah, I just wanted to comment. Thank you. Yeah, and you know, none of these are. Um, <laughs> You know, the answers for everybody, right? And this is the beauty of the Buddhist teaching. It's about trying and then reflecting. You know, I love the teaching that the Buddha gave to Rahula, right? This is his son. His son was pretty young and maybe had lied to somebody. And so the Buddha gave him a talking and said, you know, Rahula, before you speak, reflect and think about whether this might cause harm to yourself, others, or both. And then during your speaking, Rahula, reflect. Is, is what I'm saying causing harm to myself, to others, or both? And then after I'm done speaking, reflect again. Because, you know, we, our awareness can change over that period of time. And so this practice is really about, like, it's not just about intentions, <laughs> It's not just about doing what you're told to do, but reflect, learn as you go along, notice. And there's never, it's like the effort and the things we need to do are always changing because our conditions are changing. What we need one day, we might need different something another day. And we have to keep not going into automatic pilot. That takes us away from the vibrancy of our life, but keep checking in, keep reflecting listening, noticing the impact. Yeah. Okay, let's do raft. At this point, it'll be fairly short. So So the raft is the recognize, allow, feel, tease apart, and then trust. My extra tea is trusting. And you don't have to go through the whole thing again it might be that it's enough just to recognize something. So don't try and make something happen in your practice. Right? Allow yourself to notice what's happening as we practice. So taking a moment to fill your body, fill your feet, kind of be the snow globe that got set down. Let the snow flakes come to settle, coming home, connecting with the present moment.
So this is going to be an interesting thing, right, to try and practice with sloth and torpor, which uh, can be hard to be aware of. So let's see if we can do it from a perspective of kind of more of the observing mind. So just drop in the question and see if your mind can offer you a memory of a time where you really didn't have energy, you didn't have mental clarity, you didn't have the mindfulness, where you were kind of in that sinking space. And remember you're here now as you see this memory. And if you could just wiggle your fingers to let me know when you've got something in mind so I know when it's okay to shift. Okay, I think I, think I got all fingers wiggled. <laughs> so just seeing this moment in your history, your experience, whether it was re- recent or not, just kind of seeing it as clearly as possible, recognizing the lighting, the time of day, the location. Notice what's happening. Notice if you yawn or start to feel sleepy, just even being aware of that as you start to check in. Notice how your body's feeling as you're bringing it to mind. And can you practice the recognition? Like, I see you. And, you know, can is it feel right to say, I see you, sloth and torpor, I see you, lack of energy, I see you, boredom, disinterest, whatever it is that feels like naming, looking in the eyes of this energy, seeing it in such a way that it feels seen. And then there's a movement here when when the time is right to this ability to allow that experience to be there. So it's not endorsing it. It's not like jumping in that pool, saying this is great. And it's not saying it's bad. It's just saying allowing yourself to sense and be with this experience with as much mindfulness as possible right now. And if there's resistance to it, Ask yourself if it's needed. Maybe it's helping a little bit not fall into the sinking hole of it. If it's not needed, maybe invite the resistance to relax. And as there's willingness in the system, moving to feeling it in the body, moving away from the stories or the imagery, and noticing maybe a body scan of how it's impacting the energy in your body. Starting at the top of the head and noticing the forehead, the eyes, the jaw, the neck, 
shoulders. This feeling if there's a heaviness about wanting to lean forward or back or just continuing to move down the body in your own time. Going to be as aware of possible in the present moment. Connecting with the experience, not the story, as much as possible. And when you're ready, When there, you know, when there's clarity, or if you need to bring a little more energy into the practice, the next part would be to allow this space, maybe a big table of chairs and a room, and allow the different parts that are coming together to make and create this experience of sloth and torpor to have their own seat at the table. And just first naming whatever seems obvious. We don't need to pull on the strings. More, we allow space for things to unfold, to reveal themselves. And just pulling back, if you can, in your mind's eye a little bit, just to have that bird's eye view of that moment in time. Bird's eye view of the ability to see what led up to, what contributed. Thoughts, feelings, beliefs, people, situations, lack of sleep. Just allowing those things to be seen and invited to sit at the table. There's nothing that can't be here, right? This, this practice is about allowing ourselves to be with, not consumed by, not collapsing into, but allowing things to have their own space. And as you look around the table, just drop in the question to the room. Is there anything you need me to know about you, to any of these visitors? Is there anything I need to know about you? as much as possible, having uh, the grace and the capacity to appreciate each part and whatever it has to share.
And at some point here, maybe reflect on what shifted and changed that allowed this experience to change. What shifted and changed that helped the energy and the life force kind of come back in? And what in this practice was useful for you? Can you trust the practice? Can you trust the insight or that these things come and go, their states? And lots of times with the trusting part of raft, it's like I suggest you kind of imagine laying back. In this practice with soft and torpor, I kind of invite you to imagine standing up, reaching your arms to the sky, taking a deep breath, looking around, being in nature. And then to look back in at the table and just see how these eyes see the situation. And if there's a sense of appreciation for your effort, for your practice, maybe a bow to yourself, to your heart, your mind, for really revealing, revealing whatever was revealed. So recognize, allow, which is not the same as endorsing. It's acknowledging and allowing something that already exists to be seen and felt. It's already there. It's to then maybe, if there's too much resistance to what's there, to recognize the resistance. And then allow the resistance to be felt. I kind of see it like there's this thing, and if I'm resisting it, the resistance gets between me, my awareness, and the thing. So instead of trying to do this with the thing, I work with the resistance, just turning toward whatever resistance is there. And and kind of then you could just practice with that or it dissipates and you're able to connect more with the thing. From there we move to feeling it in the body, right? Allowing ourselves to get in touch with how this experience, this thought is impacting 
our physical self. And then to allow whatever's unfolding in this process to kind of have its own room and space at this table, at this imaginary room. And the idea of the room being big enough for whatever needs to be there. And the trust to me is a reminder that things are impermanent. This is an experience. It's not me. It's not who I am. Right? And that suffering actually is a guide. And if we can turn toward the suffering, we, we have a capacity to be free, like pulling the curtain back. We have the capacity to learn, to move toward freedom. So that was the practice. How was it working with sloth and torpor in this practice? Well, would you say a word or more than, about it, Susan? There's a mic right at your... was really interesting. I felt myself resisting that I was sitting up straighter uh-huh. instead of folding into myself, which I felt that day. And I thought, I'm sitting up, I'm not, I'm not giving in. And how did that change what happened? It did... Uh, I mean... How did it change what happened? Yeah, sitting up and not giving in. Oh, it felt powerful. It felt powerful. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. I was really moved by this Mm -hmm. raft. Mm -hmm. An image immediately popped in my head of something that has been really traumatic for me in the last three months. Mm -hmm. And but the beauty of it, like at the end I was out in nature with a picnic blanket. Mm with all of the things that wanted to be there. Mm. It was very moving and touching. Mm. Did you be interested to hear how it was for you? Um, I think, uh, if I remember right, you said to like remember a previous mm-hmm. kind of memory, mm-hmm. which I feel like was easier for me than doing something current. Yeah. Um, for sure. And I feel like, um, even like, yeah, looking at something that maybe I kind of dismissed or like, I was like, okay, that's over. So I'm not going to think about it anymore. And kind of like, definitely like, like when we did the table thing, I was like, oh, there's like six different things I could name that were like contributing to like me shutting down in that moment. Beautiful. Um, so that was really helpful. Beautiful. So you know how I, I didn't say it tonight because I was kind of tailoring for this particular hindrance, but to when we do this practice, to make sure it's not going to overwhelm whatever we're practicing with, practice with what we can be with. And it's never too late to practice with anything because even as we're having a memory, we're having an experience in the present moment. And there's a way to process that experience in the present moment, even though we can't go back and change time. You know, so choosing something that's historical, that's not as intense, if that's what works, it works. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad you had that experience. Thank you. Yeah, Gus, please. Um, these five probably don't happen all on their own, right? They're 
Yeah, they're, absolutely. They're mixed, right? Absolutely. Um, I was thinking that there seems to be some relationship between aversion and sloth and torpor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. clinging and restlessness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And doubt also probably is associated with sloth and torpor. So maybe, I mean, does this make sense that if you're feeling yourself in a state of sloth and torpor, do you, could you reasonably ask yourself, what are you being aversive to right now? What are you doubting right now? Yes, but I would say it's not just those things. Right. Because actually excessive desiring can lead to a shutting down of sloth and torpor. Right? And doubt can lead to restlessness and worry. Uh, so there's that. there's not it's not one directional or right. it, but it's dynamic, and so always it, it it's good to ask those kinds of questions, but don't make assumptions exactly about oh you know that's one to ma- one correlation yeah okay. and it might be a pairing that's very consistent for you, but even then don't lock in that it, it's a, a, okay a, a, right oh that's good yeah. yeah. So, we're almost at the end. And, um, you know, I just want to invite you to continue to play and experiment with your effort, what you bring to your practice, right? Um, And that idea of more space or less space, right? So in terms of the restlessness and worry, is there too much tightness, constriction? Do I need more space? If there's a lot of lack, and I bring a little bit more tension or uprightness <laughs> to, to what's happening right now, to my attention. Um, and you might even, like, actually deliberately practice with, like, way too much energy and then not enough energy, just playfully exploring what happens, you know, just seeing in real life what happens in you. <laughs> um, so... Thank you for your practice, your participation, your sharing. It's a delight. I look forward to our final week next week, talking about doubt and the kind of big ta-da with the Wizard of Oz. So thank you so much.